Lord is my shepherd. Well, good morning again. I'm so glad that you're here joining us today in this room. We normally do some meeting and greeting pre-COVID, so what I want to do for those of you here right now, and for those of you at home, you can do this as well. It might be kind of awkward if you're, if you're just by yourself, but uh, look around at your neighbor and make some eye contact and give them uh, a smile with your eyes if possible, <laughs> or smile under your mask at them to acknowledge their presence and say, hey, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, yes, it's good to see all of you here today and during summertime. Uh, summer has that unique vibe in the church, and of course, this year is totally unique with that as well. Um, but there's something sort of relaxed, sort of um, laid back, almost like a, um, uh, it feels like a, a laziness almost, right? You get into summertime and you things slow down, uh, which is wonderful here to experience that. Um, so this morning, before we get into teaching, I do want to say one other thing. Um, if you have not become a member at Pilgrim Church, a covenant partner, and you've been attending, um, you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, whether at home or here in the room, uh, we really want to encourage you to become a member, a covenant partner uh, in relationship with one another in the body, uh, both in terms of commitment and in terms of we don't want to get to the fall and also f- look at structuring boards and other things. And we have that list where we're seeing new people come in Uh, but helping people take that step to being eligible in other areas of leadership in the body, as well as just making that commitment to saying, I am a church member. Paul spends a lot of time in Corinthians talking about, we are the body of Christ. He uses the image of, of a body. Christ is the head, and each of us is a member of it, that membership matters and owning that. And he teaches the Corinthians about that as well. So I want to challenge you to become uh, engaged with that. This morning, we're going to dig into the second half of a sermon series on work and rest. And just to make sure you're awake and with me and that the, the, the slow creeping heat of Vancouver summer this day is not knocking you out entirely, if you're in this room and you're awake, would you, would you acknowledge that by saying, yes, I'm awake or amen or something like that? Amen. Okay, all right. That was good. It was kind of weak on the left side. Let's try over here. Yes, you're awake. You're alive. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> I think I got dagger eyes from Khan over there, so I'm going to le- let it go. Let it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, some years ago, I remember hearing a message by a great famous uh, preacher, orator, uh, and, and he said this, have you ever gone to bed tired and woke up tired? Have you ever experienced season in your life where it just seems like you have sleep, your body in some ways is getting sleep, but you don't have rest. And he was drawing out this important idea within the faith and within each one of us that you are a spirit and body woven together. And sometimes it's not just about resting the flesh. There is something about rest for the soul that Christianity calls us into, that Jesus calls us into. And he says this, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, this wonderful passage that if you've been a believer, or maybe not a believer, but you may have familiar with Christianity, you've heard this teaching of Christ. And Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come to me, come to him, come to Jesus, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Let me read it in another translation, just so you hear this again. Come to me. All you who are troubled and weighted down with care, and I will give you rest. One more translation of this passage. Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, and I will refresh you. 
This summer, we've just doing a short message, and we jump around between topics and going verse by verse through books of the Bible on rest. And so today, I want us to focus on this concept of rest in the Scripture and what it can mean for you and your life and your experience of God, of yourself, of creation, and of others. Let me pray, and we'll go a little deeper, shall we? Lord, we do thank you for your presence here. And maybe someone in this room is getting a lot of sleep, but that deep rest, that renewal of their soul, not just their mind, but also of that inner being, that inner thing that gives us life that you've placed within us. And so as we explore these cycles of rest, be with us today. Use your word. I can't change anybody's heart. I'm a saint and sinner in process, just like everyone else here. But Holy Spirit, take this, take the worship, take the leadership that's already happened in this gathering and the teaching and your Holy Spirit in prayer, community, and do what only you can do. We submit this to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may have heard um, about blizzards. How many of you are familiar with blizzards? I know Vancouver, you know, if you grew up in Vancouver, you've read about them as mythical objects, sort of unicorns out there, but they do exist. Um, in the prairies in the Midwest, there is a, a practice that happened years ago that farmers would do. They would tie a rope between uh, their house and the nearest barn where they would need to go like feed animal or livestock or get whatever resources were in the barn. They'd tie a rope because in the midst of a blizzard, there's so much sort of white and gray flying around that in a bad, bad blizzard with the windstorm and the snow, sometimes you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And there were stories of farmers that lost their lives in blizzards trying to get the chores done to keep the livestock alive, where they ended up sometimes wandering around and they didn't make it because you get so disoriented in a heavy, heavy blizzard. That's why nowadays they still close highways up in mountains and other places uh, where there are these kinds of blizzards and that you can get lost and drive right off the road. But they would have stories of farmers that would die literally sometimes feet away from their house uh, coming back because they didn't know and they were so disoriented. This blizzard, uh, it was a dangerous thing. Many again froze to death, disoriented, wandering in circles, and sometimes again lost in their own yards. There are seasons in life when we can get lost in the blizzards. If you think of the blizzard as a, as a metaphor for busyness, of doing and doing and doing and never stopping, sometimes we have said yes to doing too much, Sometimes it's the demands of family, sometimes it's the demands of work, but they squeeze out our, our ability to be human. And we talked about this idea of being and doing, that they both work together, and that doing does shape being, but ultimately we are created in the image of God, we are human beings as well. And so we want to talk about this idea of how do we deal with the blizzards, how do we deal with the sense of not actually experiencing rest for our souls, and Jesus gives us an alternative way of being human in every area of our lives, including this idea of what does it mean to stop and rest. And we want to dig into that a little deeper this morning. Doing, doing, doing with no sense of rhythm or beauty in our lives. 
And I think there is this idea of an enemy that wants to keep us so addicted to doing, whether it's on our screens, our technology, as we are become slaves to our own technology, whether it is uh, our job, whether it's our sense of insecurity. And I, I love, again, Brueggemann, I quote him all the time, but this idea of being driven by anxiety and scarcity versus experiencing the fact that you can release some things in your life, indeed, The scripture tells us that there is a time to pause throughout our day and throughout our week and throughout our lives and simply acknowledge that there is a God who is working in the midst of it, the right kind of sovereignty that we can rest in and take delight in. So this is built into the very fabric of scripture. In the Old Testament, the concept of Sabbath, and just to make sure you're with me this morning, say Sabbath, you're awake, if you're willing to anyway. Sabbath, yeah, yeah, okay, the concept of Sabbath is woven in. Uh, It's the very Ten Commandments, and we'll get back to that in a second. But the Sabbath, what is Sabbath? If we read in the Old Testament or in Hebrew Bible, we see that it is to mean to cease, to stop working. Would you say it with me, if you're willing to play? Again, you don't have to, but if you're willing to, would you say with me to stop, to stop? Say stop. Look at your neighbor as if they offended you and were about to cut you off and say stop. Okay, well, some of you played with that, all right. Stop working. And in the Old Testament, in the law, it was literally like, like slamming the brakes on most activities for 24 hours. In Genesis chapter 2, again, we see this woven into creation by God's modeling it for us. That God stops creating and just is with his creation in Genesis 2. It says this, by the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. And he ceased on the seventh day all the work he had been doing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. It's kind of repetitive to make the point that even the creator is modeling for us this sense of stopping. Now, of course, God is literally upholding the universe, but in that very active sense of a work of of creating a new thing, he rests and he models that for us. There's an intentional rhythm we see in life. We've talked about before at Pilgrim Church that if you want to go deeper in Christianity, you have to develop liturgies, practices, rituals, routines that push back against the liturgies of the world around you. You see, you're already being formed by our culture into a consumer. You're being formed into someone who's driven by either uh, maybe educational pursuits, social economic status. You are being shaped already. You are a worshiper regardless. That is a given. You will worship. You will fill the ultimate thing in your life, what is ultimate to you, with something during each season of life. And God comes to us and says, guess what? You were created for something else in that deepest place of your heart. There is a hole, there is a yearning that only a relationship with Jesus Christ can fill. And that whole thing brings life. But the culture is here forming you. So unless you learn practices in daily life to stop and acknowledge and name God or wrestle with God or your concept of God, whatever that is, you will be formed by all of the worship of the kingdoms of the world around us. Politics, all of the things are seeking to form you. You are in a worship service. Whether you're in this room or out there, you are constantly being formed by liturgies, by routines, by rituals. And so the Christian path tells us we need to break into that with different routines throughout our day to stop and to pause. But in this other pattern, there's another pattern of once every seven days that was in Old Testament about stopping and pausing. And so we want to tease that out, and how does that get reinterpreted in the New Testament as well? And then what are some practical ways we can do that? In our, in our remaining time, I want to explore that. So if you're still with me, would you uh, say amen? 
I got saved in a Pentecostal church. I apologize for those of you that are much more Baptist and uh, either high church. Well, high church Protestant, we work those things into the actual liturgy. The word of the Lord, and everyone would say after a reading from the New Testament or Old Testament, the word of the Lord, they would say, thanks be to God. Say it with me. The word of the Lord. See, even in mainline, old line, uh, Catholic Orthodox, there was this thing of engaging your body. You stay more engaged with what's going on in teaching. Okay. So some main practical theology to just unpack before we get to the application pieces. Practical theology. The the first thing I want to say about that is that God commands rhythm in our lives. God commands that we actually think about the structure of our days. You know during COVID, some of us slipped into unstructured days, and even secular psychology is catching up to the ancient wisdom of the Scripture, saying, no, actually having patterns and routines is super important in terms of staying motivated and focused and and your emotional affect, that this matters. Well, God's been saying this through Scripture for thousands of years. In fact, I would say if you don't stop and listen for a different drummer, the music of the Spirit, we get sucked into sort of... uh, the, an arrhythmic pattern of the world. You know, heart disease. Some of us have experienced this. Some of us know family that have. There is something wrong when your heart stops beating in a somewhat regular pattern, an arrhythmic thing, and it can actually take you out. It weakens you. God creates these rhythms in our life to bring life that our heart might beat and might bring oxygen and blood and nutrients throughout our body. Help us with that. So this practice of Sabbath in Old Testament and in New Testament is this idea of refraining from other work. And the Sabbath is woven into the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue in the Old Testament. It's, it's the fourth commandment. And it says this, Remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work. And then it says this, For in six days, reminding them again of the Genesis narrative, For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that's in them. But God rested on the seventh day, as if to say, if God gave this pattern for us, how much more do we need it? Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath is introduced from a people who were in slavery for nearly 400 years. And you know, being enslaved means that you are at the beck and call of the work and someone else that is not God, <laughs> that you are constantly being driven by work, that you are the, mecha- the, the, the machines, the cogs and the wheel of, of the engine. And so after 400 years, the Israelites has lived as slaves without a day off, 400 years as a people, without an official day off, a day of rest. God gives them rules to rehumanize them, and that's what the Ten Commandments are. Here's how you live in community. Here's how you become alive in the spirit of Yahweh. Here's how you experience this. And so he teaches them as they have been reduced to being products and consumers of goods, in this case more products, uh, he is rehumanizing them through the Ten Commandments. And so when the church talks about Sabbath and rest, yes, there's a history of legalism in the Western church in particular, most of that's gone now, but there's a principle here that there are certain things that we are made to do to break the cycles of work and other aspects of our life that rehumanize us. And if you're going to bed tired and you're waking up tired, yes, there may be some psychological things involved too, but there may be a spiritual root that needs to be addressed as well, that you need to rediscover the Jesus who says, come to me if you're weary, if you're burdened, and I will give you rest. The grace of Jesus, the work of Christ says, take my yoke upon you, exchange your work for his work, and it will be easy and light because he's shouldering it with us. So the commands were given in the Old Testament to rehumanize them. 
We are not to get our identity from overlords and tyrants, from politics and solely from our doing in our day and age. It was given to the ancient Israelites, immediately creating, uh, again, calling them to understand God's boundaries in their life, creating a new way of being against the tyranny that they had experienced. I like, again, how Brueggemann says this, Sabbath is resistance. Into the system, this ancient system, where the Israelites were enslaved and into this system of hopelessness, hopeless weariness erupts. The God of the burning bush shows up in the midst of their weariness. Some of you this morning need to know that there's a God who shows up in the midst of your weariness. You need to understand that God is speaking to you even through this broken foolishness preacher right here that he wants to enter into your weariness and show you another way of living. Brueggemann goes on and says that God heard their despairing fatigue of the slaves of Egypt and resolved to liberate them and the company of Israel from the exploitative system and recruited Moses for the human task of emancipation. He goes on and says this, the reason, oh, I love this, this is good stuff. This makes me, when we get into the practices, that worship is one of them for rest, which may seem counterintuitive, but it says this, the reason Miriam and the other women can sing and dance at the end of the Exodus story is the emergence of a new social reality in which the life of the Israelite economy is no longer determined and compelled by the insatiable production quotas of Egypt and its gods. Whew. Getting the Holy Spirit tingles on that one. Within our economy today, and we're not getting fully into systemic issues of economic justice, but this is in Scripture. This is Bible. This is the Word, baby. It's the Word. That there was a whole structure of economy designed to commodize, make these people into commodities. And even today, when our structures get out of balance, when the church is diminished, when the church forgets that it has a prophetic call to the culture around us, we say that that to stop is so important to being human. That at the end of the day, economics is not the final indicator of your worth or your value. Your doing ceases and you're reminded about your being, that you were created in His image and likeness, that you are more than your job. You are more than your education. You are more than social economic status. You are more than family of origin, but you are in the family, the child of God. He says, there's a time to stop and enter into the rest of God, and they needed to learn that. And oh, by the way, by gathering on Sunday, it's countercultural, especially in post-Christendom Canada. But when we gather right here, we're actually making a declaration about economics in our world. We're making a declaration about uh, what is ultimate in our world. We're making a declaration and saying that there is a God who is at work, power under. It is the slow, patient ferments of the kingdom of God. But there's a different way of being human. The quotas of the culture and the economy ultimately will not determine our identity, our ultimate worth. Well, I'm preaching on the wrong point. I mean, it's a good point, and you need to hear it, and we need to hear it, but it's we got to move on. Okay. Say it with me. Move on, pastor. Keep moving, preacher. Oh, come on. Some of you really want to say it. Keep moving, preacher. <laughs> okay, I'm moving. All right. Sabbath, in particular, gives them a new rhythm. Most of us often think Sabbath is mentally impossible, but remember the people of Israel enslaved in Egypt for 400 years They were ingrained in workaholism. They knew nothing else. There were no other options. 
activism and overwork, they never experienced a work-rest rhythm as slaves of the empire. In 400 years, you're into multiple generations. And God comes and gives them these guides. Another author puts it this way, before Israel entered the promised land, Moses proclaimed further that the very act, in Deuteronomy 5.13 and onward, the very act of ceasing from work in the midst of all the surrounding nations was a sign of their liberation from God. The Sabbath was a weekly sign of God's deliverance to themselves, to their neighbors, and to strangers in their midst. In a world that tries to get its identity and prove its worth and value by what it does or possesses, we are deeply loved by God for who we are and not what we do. Sabbath calls us to build this nothing into our schedule. James Loder put, said this, he said, To fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. Okay, blocks and then applications. Still with me, yes? At home you're with me? Type it in, send a message, YouTube chat. Uh, you can text us as well. You, by the way, if there's questions that we want to wrestle with at the very end, you can text those in right now uh, at home or here. I encourage you to do that. So what keeps us from saying we don't need that rope of the cycle of rest in our life, of, of the, the modern practice of Sabbath? Mark Buchanan shares some of this in his book, The Rest of God. By the way, if you're a reader, if you want to go deeper with this, Mark Buchanan, The Rest of God, Ken Shigematsu, God in My Everyday, or In My Everything, rather. Um, April Yamasaki, who we've had in as well, talks about these patterns of soul care. Um, another great book, ooh, Walter Brueggemann, of course, uh, Sabbath as Resistance, uh, of course, very Brueggerian to say that. Uh, there's a couple others that I could throw out there as well if you want to really dig into this idea of these cycles of work and rest. So what, what blocks us? Well, number one is pride, pride. Buchanan says this, pride usurps God, takes God's place. Pride inverts the universe's deepest truths that we need and serve God, that there is that inner longing that only God can fill and meets. Pride gets this exactly backward. Pride is the delusion that God, if, if God exists, is awfully lucky that I've shown up and should mind his P's and Q's lest I change my mind about God. Pride sets us up to be sort of these little gods and you will disappoint yourself as God, guaranteed 100% of the time. You're either going to be too uh, uh, not caring or you're going to be too judgmental. <laughs> you make an awful God and pride keeps us there. The second thing that keeps us from this idea that we need rest and stopping is despair or anxiety. We collapse into this sense that not even God is good enough, not even God is big enough or smart enough to sort out the mess I've made or stumbled upon. It's over, I can't, I just... And so either we collapse into sort of a depression, a despair and anxiety, or we keep being consumed by working. If I can just keep going, if I can just keep going, if I can just keep going, that somehow it will all change and God comes to you in the midst of it and says, guess what, your value isn't in those things, lay them down. You can pick them up on Monday or whenever. <laughs> in the New Testament, Judas is an example of this. And you see it bouncing back and forth. In one minute, we can be certain that we can do things better than a God if there is a God. And the next, we're convinced that not even God can make things better. We sort of go between thinking, well, we can do this better than God. And then we flip over to the other side and say that, well, not even God can fix this. We get sort of in this trap, this delusion that there is no hope, there is this cycle of despair, this cycle of work and despair, work and despair, work and despair, and Jesus says, whoa, 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 stop, stop, come to me, there's another way. 
There's patterns that we see in the New Testament about pausing. Acts 4 gives us an example in the midst of a bad situation, Peter's prayer. He says, his sovereign Lord, the prayer ends with trouble, but it starts with naming and recounting the height and depth and weight of God's sovereignty and that sense of God's general sovereignty. They establish in their hearing that the truth that God's kingdom has the final say. When we say the Nicene Creed, again, we interpret it through a Protestant lens. But I love it when we get to the part that says, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I can release judgment. Whew, thank you, Jesus. I'm not your Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm not your Holy Spirit. That's a good, that's good, that's a good word, right? I'm not your Holy Spirit, right? You're not my Holy Spirit. I mean, the Spirit can use us, but again. And his kingdom will have no end. This is, use a fancy word, penultimate. You know what the word ultimate means? Penultimate is second place. This, what we do in the life right now, is not the final thing. Canada is penultimate. Jesus' kingdom is ultimate. He's at work. Okay, I need to get to the applications and land this plane. And all of God's people said, amen. So what? How do we do this? Well, number one, beware of legalism. Beware of legalism. This isn't about, there are actually whole churches that were founded on using Hebrew Bible as if Jesus hadn't come regarding Sabbath. I'm not talking about some wooden legalism that says you must mark the seventh day on the calendar and you must cease. Uh, and in fact, Sabbath would have been Saturday, so Friday, sundown to Saturday, and then Christians moved worship to Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus was on a Sunday. But I actually have a friend who is a pastor in a, in a little mini denomination that they absolutely, like they practice as much as they can the ancient Jewish practice of Sabbath ceasing, sort of like as if they were Orthodox Jews but Christians uh, in Sabbath practices. That, I think, is actually missing the point because Jesus talks about it in the New Testament. He says Sabbath was not created, or rather humans weren't created for Sabbath or man wasn't created for Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man. And so this idea of rest cycle isn't to be this legalism. Because you know, pastors, nurses, doctors, police officers, some of you work on Sundays. So Jesus observed the Sabbath, but he also healed the sick, taught and preached on that day. In fact, Jesus used the Sabbath practices to provoke the religious. That's how Jesus was saying, you guys got this messed up. So he actually did stuff on the Sabbath intentionally to annoy the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. So again, let's not be legalistic about how we practice that particular day. But there's some key um, ideas, though, that I think are important. Rhythm. Key number one is rhythm. There's a regular rhythm of pausing and stopping, ideally every seven days, ideally for 24 hours, but even then, what that pause looks like will a bit be wrestling with the spirit and where you're at. Romans 14, Paul talks about this as well in terms of don't be legalistic about it, Romans 14, 1 through 17. The second key before we give the last applications are this. This is different than a day off. A day off is not the same thing as a Sabbath practice. Say it with me, day off, not the same thing. Now, there can be an overlap, of course, but Eugene Peterson of Blessed Memory speaks of replacing biblical Sabbath with a day off mentality, and he calls it, I'm sorry, uh, cover your uh, PG-12 and under crowd's ears right now. He says it's a bastard Sabbath. <laughs> it's a false Sabbath. Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will refresh you. So it's not exactly the same as a day off, and I can unpack that more uh, it over a coffee, if you wish, but I just want to throw that out there, that 
It's not exactly the same, and here's why. Four things that make up practices for Sabbath. Number one is stop. Say it with me, stop. Stop. <laughs> this is a day of stopping. It's a day where we say, I am not going to be driven by the cycles of consumption, the cycles of work. I'm going to choose to pause. If we cannot stop throughout our week, and at least once during our week, there is something, again, that is holding us that, that we're addicted to. So this call to actually pause and stop is the most fundamental aspect of Sabbath and rest. Sometimes we think, well, I'll stop when my children are growing, or maybe when I have enough saved to buy my first home or pay off my mortgage or whatever, whatever, or when I retire, win, win, win. But we're called to stop throughout our life. Whether we are children, youth, adults, retirement, there's this pattern of stopping. We stop because God's kingdom is on the move. We stop because God is on the throne. We stop and we pause because the world will not fall apart if you cease your activities. Life on this side of eternity is never finished. Doing one more thing before stopping will not finish it. There's always new opportunities and challenges, always stuff, but ultimately we will die with countless unfinished projects and goals, and that's okay. Let me say that again. Ultimately, we will die with countless unfinished projects and goals, and that's okay. So we learn to stop. And remember, he's in control. The second application piece in this is resting. Resting. We stop and then we rest. This call of a cycle throughout our week. What delights and replenishes you? Rest isn't necessarily sleeping on the couch, by the way. Rest can be doing something different. I'm a pastor. I live in my head a lot with research and study and then meeting with people. Sometimes for me, rest is mowing the lawn. That sounds crazy for those of you that may mow the lawn. If that's your living, you're like, you're insane by saying that. Going outside, being covered in grass smell and lawnmower. I have a gas lawnmower. Uh, I know I'm killing the, killing the planet, but anyway. But sometimes that's restful for me. If I'm doing that with a sense of, hey, I'm breaking out of my normal pattern of work my normal patterns of things that sustain, in case my vocation and job part of the local church. What delights and replenishes you? It may be napping, it may be working out, it may be kayaking, it may be reading, in my case, non-biblical stuff, it may be going out for dinner, it may be enjoying uh, company of others, but this idea of something that breaks your normal pattern of work, Sabbath. As you develop a Sabbath keeping, there are many things that we can do in our sort of experience of rest. There's things I try not to do, like paying bills, cleaning house, avoiding my honeydew stuff if I'm actually practicing Sabbath during those hours or that day. I'm not totally there yet, but I try to wake up to that and try to stop the work pieces. We respect our humanity in the image of God. I know I'm going a little long, but let's get the last two in here before we land the plane, amen? So stopping, resting, the third one is delight. Say it with me, delight. Delight. Genesis 1, 31 tells us in the formation of the creation, God looks and proclaims, it is good. God delighted in creation. There is something about joy in what has already happened that we experience in Sabbath practices. That we are to uh, practice delight. We're to practice what also we would say is worship, is celebrating God's uh, ownership and over, over the whole world, over the, all of creation. We take delight, and many Christians struggle with joy and pleasure, but that's part of what it means to practice Sabbath, is to enter into joy, is to let yourself be caught up. One of my favorite phrases, I was talking with a friend the other day, and in the book of Revelation, it starts out, and John was, he was uh, on a forced Sabbath of being in prison, and it says, 
he was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. So John had paused in his state at prison in Patmos. Whatever he needed to do to keep himself alive on the island, he was practicing a Sabbath on the island. And it says, on the Lord's day, I was caught up in the spirit. He let himself be pulled into God's presence. And then he received, well, then we get the rest of the, the apocalypse, the rest of the book of Revelation. Delight. Sabbath is also called to delight in people. I come to church in part to delight in you. And I hope some of you delight in me. I know you won't if I don't end soon, but we're, we're already past that point, so just give me a minute more. That we take delight in one another. In the creation, men and women, brothers and sisters, created in the image of God. That's what we do in part in the church, is we delight in others. Others who may be like us, others who may be very different, but we learn to delight in those, in the good things, the blessings. We are a new humanity in formation by the grace of God, dealing with the demons from the old humanity, but we're moving into the new thing by the grace of God in Jesus. We delight. We delight in play. So when we delight on that day, that rest day is not necessarily sleeping on the couch all day. If you need that, fine. But there's other things we do that break from our normal work cycles. And the fourth element of Sabbath is contemplate and worship. Say with me, contemplate and worship. The final is contemplating, of course, God. From Judaism into Christianity, worship with God's people has been constant. And we can think of church as work and worship as a certain kind of work. One way of understanding the word liturgy and this is really crass gloss, but this idea of uh, the work of, of the people in worship, of all of us in worship. But that work is not what you do normally during the rest of your, your vocation or the job that you support yourself with. So this idea of biblical Sabbath also sees worship and contemplating God as a kind of spiritual work that brings us refreshment. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and light. There is a work of worship that will renew you like your secular work can never do. There's a work of pushing into worship, although I was humming loudly. We'll see. We're still working on singing and COVID and honoring the powers that be and, and yet also uh, knowing when do we appropriately say, okay, we're still doing our thing, uh, but with health guidelines and respecting that. We're wrestling with that. We're trying to do that very conservatively at Pilgrim Church. But there is something about gathering and worship. There's something about gathering with others, even if you're at home at the same time with others live. There's something about that that the Holy Spirit uses to breathe life and to refresh your soul. Maybe some of you need to gain a new pattern of worship and try it. Give it a try. Give the church a try. Six months. See what worship, how, what does it do? How does it shape you differently than all the worship of the world that we're already immersed in? creating counter-narratives, counter-stories. Worship should be a taste of an eternal party that's coming. I love that we're picnicking on the lawn, we're bringing our own food, but eating together also. By the way, the first Sunday in August, we're going to do communion, but you're going to have to bring your own communion, okay? <laughs> bring your bread, bring some juice to church, or at home, have some bread and juice ready. We're going to celebrate communion again. So worship con contemplation is the fourth element of practicing Sabbath. Stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplate and worship. Contemplate and worship are, are together. So this requires prep work. Even the ancient Jews, even today, those that are within those traditional experiences of Sabbath, Christian or Jew, know that they have to prepare to enter into rest. 
there's some work to prepare yourself to appropriately play and stop and delight. So I invite you to consider those four things and to consider how can you prep yourself to enter into a pattern of the rest of God. How can you begin to reorder your schedule? Daily, I'd encourage you to to have stops throughout your day. Even if you're not reading scripture, I keep sending out an app that has a a once-a-day guided reading, including if you use it, play it. It'll give you music with the pauses built right in and read it, Lectio 365. But throughout your day, have those pauses. Set timers on your phone. This will create patterns to break you out of what the empires and the kingdoms of the world want to have this totalizing claim on your life and your time. But if you can create things, even use the technology for good, to pause and stop and, and even think of God. The most simplest thing is just to think of God. And you do that, it will actually begin to form you differently than the gods of this world that want to form you and force you into their mold. So creating and planning ahead of time. So in conclusion, I say this. Sabbath is like the gift of a blizzard once a week. In a real blizzard in where I'm from, South Dakota, stores closed roads closed, they're blocked off, schools are closed. It's like COVID on steroids. You're not going anywhere. You're not dealing with anybody. You are locked down. And hopefully you prepared somewhat in advance if you know the blizzard's coming so you're not going to run out of like toilet paper. (laughs) But all of a sudden your obligations, your pressures, your responsibilities are off. You can't do it. Sometimes even in places like that, the internet goes down. God forbid it happens. Maybe begin to thinking about times like that. Start with a couple hours. Start with Sunday worship and try to expand it. And test the Lord and see. And test this and try it and see what it does to you. If you try it and make a sincere shot, however long it takes to form a habit, three months, something like that, three, six months, and you notice zero difference in your life, I will give you your money back. Oh, wait, how much? Well, never mind. <laughs> I'm not the treasurer, and I don't see what you give, so that's a, that's a pretty low promise on my part. I will buy you a coffee and a lunch, and you tell me how a miserable failure it was, and uh, I would like to hear what you did and how you went about it. So stand with me this morning. We're going to conclude. Oh, I should ask if there's any questions. No questions this morning? Okay, well, stand with me this morning if you're able to do so. And uh, we're going to pray. Join with me? Yeah. Invite our worship team to come on up. I think they're going to send us with a song as well. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, and I'll leave you with this before we sing. Talking about what Jesus does, and he is the fullness of rest and Sabbath. And he says this, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God rested from God's works. Therefore, let us strive, hear this, that we choose a work in order to enter rest. He says, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We need that rest. If your soul has no Sunday, it becomes an orphan, Albert Schweitzer. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, thank you for the patience of this people. They're learning together with me, relearning things together. And Lord, may we understand sort of that dance of work and rest, doing and being. 
and that there is a God of this world that wants to smash us into its mold, but you have come to set us free, just like you set the ancient Israelites free from their unjust, blinded uh, by the powers (laughs) enslavement. Lord, set us free from our enslavement and that we might have flourishing in our relationships because of that. In Jesus' name, amen.